Hi, it's just me, Nicola. Just before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to every single one of you for listening to these stories each week. You are making my dreams come true. And if you are enjoying them, please, please subscribe and leave a review. It will really help us grow in the podcast world. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Inspire the Podcast with myself, Nicola Wills. Today's guest is the number one income earner in the UK in her online business. She's a property investor, business investor, and mom of three. Her story is of total transformation. The person you will hear from today is not the person that she was 15 years ago. Her journey will show you that anything, and I mean anything, is possible for anyone. Please welcome my dear friend, Sarah Dunning. Yay. Oh, I'm so glad you are here. Now, just for the record, just so everyone understands our relationship. So Sarah and I are both in the same online business together. Sarah is actually a massive inspiration and mentor to me. Um, She is the number one income earner in our organization. And she is the glue that holds the UK together. She is the vision. She is the light. She is amazing. But more than anything, what I love sharing is Sarah's story. So when people, you know, message me like, oh, you know, Nicola, can anyone do what you do? And I'll say, let me tell you a story of a lady. And it's always Sarah's story. So I just wanted you to get on the, for her to get on this podcast and for her to share her journey, to share her transformation and to really like just be the light because Sarah is who she is today because she has decided and worked on herself on every aspect of herself to become the woman that she has chosen to be. Um, And so, Sarah, let's take it back to the very, very beginning, the little duns. Where did it all begin? (laughs) So I grew up in a really small town outside uh, West Yorkshire, in Leeds, uh, outside in West Yorkshire. And yeah, I was just shy, a real introvert, um yeah just I had a really happy childhood like loved absolutely had the best parents in my eyes I look back and think I loved my childhood so much I just loved all the parts about it being at junior school yeah just had the best time it just it just in my mind always seems like sunshine and happiness and yeah such good good memories of that time yeah and you said you were shy like what did how did that like present itself well when I look back at photographs, I, I, I just, when I look up a, back at photographs, like when I'm little, and most of the pictures I'm like biting my lip and I just was looking down. I'm just so afraid. I was just so afraid of so much stuff. It's really bizarre. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's character. I don't know what happened, but I just was really, really shy, like pain, painfully shy, I'd say. Okay. And did you, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. Got a brother who is five and a half years older than me. And was he shy as well? Like, was that like a thing that you were like shy as a family? Say he probably is. He's a massive introvert, total academic, so opposite to me. The brains. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, you, do you, you were, I mean, you went on to be a dancer, but tell us about, so, you know, to be a dancer, did your parents send you to dancing to kind of help you with your confidence? No, what happened was a girl in my class went to dance school 
And she was one of my close friends at the time. And I said, oh, mum, Gemma's going to dance class. Can I go too? And mum's like, oh, I don't want you to be one of those dancing kids. And my mum didn't want to be a dancing mum. And oh, you're so funny. And she's like, okay, you can go. And then my first class, my mum stood outside and the teacher was so strict, like really old school dance teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like shouting and just like full on going for it to all of us. And I must have been, I was quite late going to dance class compared to most people. I think I was about seven or eight. And my mum stood outside and she just waited for me. She's like, I'm guessing you don't want to go back in there. And I was like, I loved it. It was so good. And I was like, you are crazy. That woman's nuts. <laughs> I just loved it. I absolutely loved every single minute of it. Yeah. So it was a. And what was that it came... that you loved about it? Like, you know, if you're if you're shy, kind of to be a performer, it seems quite crazy that that you would want to do that. Yeah. Well, on reflection, as I've got older and done more personal development, what I've realised is it was an opportunity for me to express myself because I didn't feel confident talking. It was like a self-expression thing, I think. And then as I started to realise I'm quite good at first. It was enjoyment, and then I thought actually I'm. I was kind of quite good at it. And then being good at anything gives you confidence, doesn't it? A bit more confidence. So I think that's what really where it began. It began actually watching Cats, Cats the Musical. But me too. I went to Cats in Southampton at Mayflower. That was my first ever musical, age nine. Oh my goodness. And I I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. When they were like creeping through the auditorium, it's like, did it, did it, did it. And I was like, oh my God, you are amazing. I know. I remember Bradford Alhambra. I I remember it like a film in my head. I sat there and I was like, "Oh my goodness! I want to be a professional dancer. This is it. This is what I'm going to do." Such a such a clear moment. Mine mm. wasn't then. I wasn't. I didn't. Wasn't like I'm going to be a performer from there. I loved it, but it was when I saw Fame when I was twelve. I watched it four times in one week at the Bic. Oh my goodness! And you ended up being in it. I was like, "That's the one." I because it was more like like yeah, poppy cool. and that was like who yeah, yeah. I was rather than like a, an actual like you know um technical dancer even at night you know that age I still knew that I was like that's who I am um, but it's crazy because without really realizing both of us then you know the law of attraction we put that into place didn't we because then we then both followed our in our in in our like dream and and made that happen as a dancer but talk me through your teenage years Sarah what was that like um, not as enjoyable. So okay. I think it's similar for a lot of people. I think when you hit the, your teen years, you just sort of, there's confusion of who you are, like what you're about. And I went to a school, a humongous high school and being the shy sort of quiet person that I was, I was just lost and invisible in a massive numbers. And, you know, I wasn't particularly, I say I wasn't intelligent. The weird thing is like all my group of friends are super intelligent. But I think I, I, what I realised now is I wasn't good at exams. I think I am actually quite intelligent. But I, I wasn't good in an exam situation. Mm. I think I could have been diagnosed with something, or, you know, ADHD or something, I'm not sure. But I know part of my brain didn't work in exams. I don't know what that was. So, yeah, I wasn't particularly super intelligent, you know, sort of middle set, second set, and then in, in classes. And then I wasn't naughty either. So I was just really middle of the road, unnoticed, and... As I've grown up and I actually ended up, had a, had a period of my life teaching um, at a secondary school at a place called the Brit School, which is for f- performers. It really made me passionate about how I don't agree with all of the school system and, and what it offers in the UK. I just think, gosh, it's, 
it really monitors sort of like two types of intelligence and there's nine types of, there's so many types of intelligence. And that's what I loved about the Brit school when I taught there. Kids would go there, basically a big part of their timetable would be studying a specific subject that they were talented in. So it'd be like music or art or drama. And it was incredible what happened to the rest of their grades from from their previous school where they were like, you know, trouble or not doing great. They'd come to the Brit school and their grades would just fly through the roof because they felt confident and they started yeah. to feel good about something they were doing yeah. and they applied themselves to the other stuff. So, yeah, I just feel like school didn't serve me, particularly secondary school. And I basically came out not really knowing much more apart from Pythagoras' theorem. <laughs> and not and really really rock bottom self-esteem yeah yeah and that self-esteem thing I think like if there's one thing that I could teach my children or actually anyone it's it's I don't care how clever you are but if you have self-belief and self-worth the world is your oyster without that you're in trouble basically and you're going to spend your whole adult life paying for it yeah if you don't somehow learn to find your like own true value so then how did that then show up in your life? Because you then, you went on to stage school, right, Sarah? Do you go from there on stage school straight away, age 16? Yes. So I did, I did, no, I did A-levels okay. in sixth form. My sixth form life became a bit different, to be honest. Like I got a group of real close friends that I'm still friends with today. There's like four so girls, nice. four boys, and there's now 16 of us because they've all got partners. Um, and we're still all such good friends. So sixth form was a great time. I loved it. And also, I didn't really care about my exam results because I knew I was going to dance college. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same. I had that. So I was like, I'm yeah. not going to dance college. So you've all got to get into unis. I'm all good. I've had fun. So I just had the best fun two years. It was such a brilliant time. And, you know, learn to drive and like go to all the parties. And yeah, it was brilliant. And then I went to dance college at uh, after my A-levels at 18. What dance college did you go to? I went to one in Blackpool called Phil Winston's Theatre. Oh, yeah. Is it still around now? It, yeah, it still is, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Great. Yeah, but, I love every single minute of it. Yeah, especially when you're, you're doing something you're so passionate about. you know. And then how was your confidence in, in that environment? Yeah, it started to grow by then. It was definitely better than it had been, you know, as, as a kid and has been smaller. But still, like, looking back now, I realised I didn't truly like myself. I wasn't all good was who I was yeah yeah and how did that show up like how do you you know looking back what is it that you were doing that was making you now that you know like what were you was it kind of self-talk was it how you feel about yourself like what did that show how did that show yeah you? well it really showed in it showed in auditions at Dan's college it was just a great time and it was one thing we were focused on and it was becoming better performers better dancers and I knew I could do that and I loved it but then when I got sort of out into the big wide world and, you know, it's high, highly competitive. It's intense, isn't it? Like, as you know. And just now I look back, I think I actually didn't, I can't even believe I got any jobs because I'd go in there going, I'm never going to, I'm never going to get this. Like my self-talk was disgusting. Mm. I know, same. Self- and yeah. I just believed that every single person in that audition room was better than me. Like I would look around with no evidence. This is the thing. There's no evidence that they were. I'd look around and I would just be like, gosh, she's prettier, she's thinner, she's going to be, she can get her leg higher, she can sing better than me without, you know, just, and then what that did would wake me perform at like 50% of what I was actually capable of, if not less. Yeah. And the like, gosh, if I knew what I know now and I went into those audition situations, it'd have been so different. Honey, I'd been in Hollywood. Like, that's what I, but yeah. Yeah. 
I know. Yeah. And exactly. It's what, what I know now. And I, it's, yeah, it is just mind blowing. So then talk about, so then in your twenties, you did have a career, you know, so somehow you battled through and you had a career as a performer. What shows are you in? Um, so I did all sorts of stuff really. I did as a dancer because I wasn't a strong singer. I feel like okay. I could have been, but again, it was a confidence thing. So I never really focused on my singing, which I should have done. But anyway, because of that, I did mainly like dance focused jobs. So, um, uh, when I first got left college, I went on uh, I worked on cruises around Hawaii, which I was just so excited that I was going to live in Hawaii for six months, like as a twenty-one year old. So that was so much fun. It's just all about the fun. Um, yeah, all sorts of different jobs, small, um, you know, loads of pantomime, summer seasons. I did We Will Rock You was the last job that I did. So We Will Rock You was when I really thought this is where my musical theatre career began. Yeah, and then sadly it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what happened, Sarah, because. You're in full. How old are you when that happened? When when you were twenty six when I got Rock You. Okay, so you're in. You're in. We will rock you. This is like a massive. If anyone doesn't know, this is the Queen musical. It is the musical of musicals, isn't it? Especially at that time, it was like the one to be in. So you've got this line of this dream job. What happens? So I was air guitaring on stage, and I felt this really weird pain shoot down my arm, and my, it just came out of nowhere because I wasn't one of those dancers that was injured. In fact, I don't think I'd ever been injured. Um, and it's the weirdest feeling and it was in the finale actually so I was like okay it's weird just carry on as you do as a dancer you're just like in agony but keep doing what you do every single night and then I got off the stage and I remember saying to my friend Hetty something is weird I don't feel right so I went to a physio he did some checks and I'd slipped two discs in my <gasps> neck that were pressing on my nerve down my arm um, so yeah that's what happened and it was so, it was so scary at the time it sounds it doesn't sound it but no, I was in, yeah, I went to this physio and he basically said to me, you could wake up, these, these were the exact words, and now I know what I know about like law of attraction and what you say to people. He said to me, you could wake up one morning and not be able to feel your body from the neck down. He said that to a 27-year-old. I was like, oh. in fact, what I did was I, I've never fainted in my life before that or since then, and I just fell off the chair and passed out. Oh my God, that's just... That gives me like goose, like shivers because it's just, yeah. you know, it's he, so sad. yeah, it's just so sad. But also, were you in also so much pain as well at the time or not, you know, how what was it like? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was painful. I mean, it wasn't agony. And, you know, once you've given birth, nothing's agony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got that comparison. Yeah. But, you know, it was, you know, it was on the pain scale. It was painful, but it wasn't like an absolute in excruciating yeah. pain. And but to be given that news, then what did you do with that? Like what happened? So my contract ended, it was sort of near the end of the contract actually after that. And I remember going to, I just thought I was going to continue. I thought I'd see chiropractors and just see if I can carry on. Sort of ignoring it really, being like complete denial. Because I really thought this is where it's going to take off. Like this is where I'm going to get all the jobs off the back of it. Because you know, like once you're in the door, yeah, you're in, you know, it's so much easier to get seen for stuff. And I thought, so I remember getting to it was I was actually a final for a Grease audition for Grease musical, and there's a move that you have to do where it's a full on step, whack your head to the side, whack your head to the side, and I just had to walk out and I was like I just can't do this because the fear of what if this because he said if you continue it just could get worse and it's never going to be good if it gets worse, uh, you might lose feeling in your arm, not be able to use your right arm. So I just constantly had this yeah obsession that I wasn't going to be able to feel you know use my right arm at some point it was so scary 
Um, so I told my agent and I just remember going and just walked out the final because I just don't think I can do it. And, you know, you don't want to tell them what's happened. I didn't actually tell him what happened because I didn't want him to not to put me up stuff. It's this weird, horrible scenario. Awful, yeah. And you just feel like then they'll be like, okay, come on, bye. And not yeah, yeah, see you know, later. Yeah. Then, yeah, and he basically said, I can't represent you anymore if you're going to do things like an agent. So, you know, they're like, they're not the nicest people yeah. always. Mm. Not that they're all bad, but um, it wasn't a particularly nice one. And yeah, and I was like, it's done, it's over. That's that career over. And it was just this, it was such a, a bad time in my life. Like I really was completely, yeah, yeah I think I probably had a bit of a breakdown when I look back. Because it's yeah. your identity, isn't it? Everything that I yeah. was. And to, to anyone that was in that profession, you know, you just have to be fully obsessed with it. You have to live it, breathe it, sleep it, eat it. It's everything. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, who am I without that? And I I've got no qualifications. Like, what am I actually going to do with my life? Yeah, exactly. And and when did the com- the first conversation happen from that point to say, Sarah, there's this thing I think you should have a little look into. When was mm. that? That was about five months later. Okay. And I was like, well, so in that ha- five months, that five months must have been really tricky then. Not like having, it's like no hope. It's like, what you know? As performers, it was like, okay, well, you, my dad used to say to me, "Well, Nicola, I think it's time you come home, like go back to your Dorset, get yourself a, a normal job, and get your head out of the clouds." Like you know, it was always that kind of chat. So, I am in that in that scenario. My parents have been like, "Right, you're home, get your job at Tesco," you know, and yeah, that's I can't it. I really remember. Mum and dad have always been so supportive of everything I've done. So. I'm sure they'll be like, she'll figure it out. She always does. And that's what my mum always told me. Cause I, so that's probably what I believe about myself. But yeah, those five months were tough. And it was definitely, it's a summer in London, actually. And I remember my friend um, saying, let's go for a drink. I've got something to share with you. So I was like, oh, okay. And I, I, I just wasn't myself. Like even thinking back how I responded in that situation, you know, quite an optimistic, upbeat person. But I just wasn't, I think I was just zoned out of like, I don't actually know what I'm going to do with my life or even who I am. And yeah, he just said this, this company that's launched into the UK, it sounds really exciting. Like, I'm going to do it. Why don't you do it with me? And I was like, well, what is it? And he was like, it's like nutrition, health and wellness. It wasn't even nutrition at that time, actually. It's health and wellness, skincare. I was like, I don't even know anything about that stuff. Like, but I'm not really interested in it, but I'll come along. Yeah. <laughs> I was just so open to it. You know, nothing else to do, basically. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'll come. And that was it. And I sort of knew what I didn't want to do, you know, and I'm sure I'd have figured something out, but um, I, knew, I knew I didn't want to sit in an office. I knew because I had such an exciting life, such an exciting life being a performer, you know, meeting different people and going different places and every day is different. Um, I knew I didn't want to sit, for me, I didn't want to sit in an office until I was 70. Yeah. No, especially when you've got so much passion and drive for like life. Yeah. You didn't have that much confidence in yourself. You've seen the exciting side of life. And when you've seen that and know that exists, you can't not know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I remember a real, a, another defining moment, actually. I was stood on the balcony in this place I used to live in Chiswick with these three of the dancers. My friend who, who was in the room next to me in the house share said, I've just got this book. It's amazing. You need to read it. And it was the secret, you know, the secret, like yeah. the route performing world. And I read it and he had a balcony like out the front of his, onto the high main street of Chiswick. And we like stood there and I was like, put out there what you want. And I was like, 
I just want to do something that helps people. I want to be in a business or do something where I feel like I'm contributing or helping every day. And that's all I remember saying. Easy. I know. It's such a weird thing, but I remember that. Yeah, but it is that. It's quite... As a performer, you know, that's not like, you know, you're on the road as a nurse and that's what you want to help people. So the fact that you're thinking that without even knowing what you're about to get yourself involved in. Yeah, I knew I really wanted to do that. And that's why I was thinking about, in fact, I even got a job as an occupational therapist assistant in a hospital in Uxbridge. (laughs) How interesting. Because I was like, that's the path. I'm going to be a physio, an occupational therapist. And they'd like pay for you to do the degree. And I thought that was it. And it wasn't. So tell us what happened. So that first initial um, conversation, what did that lead to? Then did you go to like a meeting or did you meet people? What happened? Yes. Then I went to meet um, a a, a guy I didn't know at the time, actually. I didn't know him at all. And he, my friend said, he'll tell us what it's all about. He'll explain the business opportunity. And I met this guy and I was like, oh my gosh, who is he? Like, he looks so dapper. He looked like the epitome of success. You know, when you look at someone, you think, you're just success. Yeah. <laughs> he was so like smart, turned up in his Porsche. I was like, I don't know anyone like you. Like everyone I know is struggling to pay their rent. Like, who are you? <laughs> Love that. Yeah. And did he then share with you what was possible, basically? Yeah, he, he talked about the business opportunity, you know, obviously about the products as well that were attached to the business. But it was more about the possibility and the vision of what he was going to create and what was going to happen in the next couple of years in the UK. I was like, oh, my goodness. And it wasn't, for me, it was just a knowingness of this is it. This is the thing. This is what I am meant to do. And did you hear it and know it? Were you like, oh, this is why we, yeah. Yeah, I don't even remember anything they told me, to be honest. I don't remember any, of the, any part of what it was. I just remember walking back to Chiswick up Chiswick High Road thinking, oh my, you know, I felt like I'd won the lottery. I was like, hmm, this is actually the thing that's going to change everything for me. It's just such a deep knowingness. I can't even describe it. It was just like unwavering belief that it was the thing that's going to. And did you feel like, because I remember when I, when, when, I, when I then actually understood what it was and I knew what I was going to do and I knew what. I remember sitting on the tube and having this feeling like I was levitating off the chair because it was just like I was vibrating at such a high frequency of excitement and knowing that I'm changing my life and this is the vehicle and I found the thing. I remember feeling like I'm rising up. I could see people around me like just on their phones, like heads down. I went, and yeah, it was just magic like the beginning of the business when you finally get it like you know it took me three years to get to that point obviously you heard and and felt it but when you get it and you know you know like the hope and the possibility when you have nothing it's the hope it's the hope that first of all my life's not going to be like this forever it's not going to be a struggle because financially it was a struggle in london like no matter what i did there was, was always a bit short at the end of the month so I just thought, and I'd not been on holiday for years. I, I, I don't think I had a, an, a holiday as an adult because the one I didn't want to miss auditions. I couldn't afford it. So I just thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to like have choices and like go away and do things and support my parents in their retirement. And and then I, then I started to think about my friends and I was like, oh, they're all going to be able to have this too. Because that's the amazing thing about this industry. You know that if you get good at this, you can teach it to other people. It's not like you need a certain skill set, like a dancer. I couldn't teach everyone to be a dancer not that you'd want to be but you know the, yeah I could teach 
I, I believed I could teach most people the skills to make a success of this. Yeah. And that's when I got so excited. I was like, this is the golden ticket. The hope was, and it's, you're exactly right, it was the frequency. Two years of living in London before I moved back up to Leeds of just being on the highest high. I didn't want to sleep. I was like, no time to sleep. I'm too excited. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I felt like. It, it was two and a half, that two and a half years where I can look back now and, and I will, the transformation in who I was, what I believed about myself, it was the, it was like, you know, that the catalyst, like the, the caterpillar going into a butterfly. Like I always knew that I had more in me, but I had no way to know what that was. Or, and that's why, you know, the business of network marketing is so amazing because it does allow anyone, you know, obviously with the work and everything that goes into it to then actually blossom into who they were. And, you know, I owe everything to it. Like I wouldn't be here where I am today with, without it. So, but Sarah, take us the beginning of your journey. So are you are you still a network marketer? Are you still underconfident at this time? Like, do you still feel like, oh gosh, about yourself? Uh, no, I, don't, I wouldn't say so. Okay. And I, I just stumble. The phrase that I think summarizes it is just, I'm all good. Yeah. And I think when you meet people, because there's, you know, different types of confidence and self-worth, and then there's the bravado of confidence, and then there's ego. It's, you know, it's complex, isn't it? When yeah. you meet someone, you're like, are they confident? Are they confident? But I think when you meet someone who's confident, there's a sense of just peace that they're all good. Yeah. And I feel like that's where I am after You're years right. of, and yeah. it's always, there's always moments, just less moments, yeah. you know, where you have of a little moment like, Ugh. So take us back. You've heard, them, heard it. You're about to start embark on your network marketing entrepreneurial journey. What does that look like? Well, I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, horrendous, awful. Um, I just was really bad because I had such low confidence. I was so sort of, um, I suppose, as confident as a dancer. I had confidence that I was a good dancer, but it, but confidence and self worth are two different things. So I didn't have the self worth to feel like I was worthy of the success. I suppose so. I'd sort of be apologetic. I was very apologetic. Like I just say sorry for no reason I'd be like so sorry <gasps> sorry about that sorry sorry like that was the main part of my vocabulary I remember the <laughs> chiropractor that I went to was like you say sorry about every third word and I was like oh, I'm so sorry oh sorry <laughs> oh my um, god and I've so, yeah, so, so many people listen to that can relate it's almost like I'm just apologizing for just being in your presence yeah yeah horrendous when you think about it like so yeah. so sad so sad yeah it is yeah and, you know, it must have been multiple things that got me to that point in that my, my life. But what happened was I, yeah, so that first year, I just started to plug into the calls. So one of the yeah. things that I love about this industry is you have access to incredible mentorship and not just one amazing mentor, several, like yeah. lots and lots of mentors. And I just would listen to them and get so inspired and learn so much and basically shift how I changed my perception on how I thought about things, how I thought about myself, how I thought about life, um, tools that I could implement to use. And that alongside reading some amazing books. Um, yeah, what's your book? What, book was, what books did you, are your like ones that you think they did the, the job? Yeah, and I think it, uh, there's so many great books. But at that point in my life, the ones that I read that really changed so much for me were The Success Principles by yeah. Jack Canfield. Such an incredible book. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I remember reading that and just thinking, hold on a second. I, it just like fireworks going off above my head. Like, 
oh, I've trade I've traded time for money. Everything I've ever done, every job I've ever done, I've been in a circumstance where I've worked now, got paid an hour, or been told I'm worth that amount for that amount of time. And I remember the sentence where in that book it says, you can never have freedom as long as you're trading time for money. You have to find a way to create income that's not attached to time. And then he said network marketing is one of the best ways to do that for most people. And I remember I can still, I can still see the paragraph. It's at the bottom of a page, um, like page, I can't remember what page it is. But just thinking, this is it. And actually, for most people, this is the best way to create that income that's not attached to time, that gives you choices and freedom, ultimately. Yeah. And I think... That was a and then the slight edge was the other one I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And and um, for me, too, there was also this, uh, you know, obviously, I, the, se- the secret. It's like what we all learn, like, from the secret. It felt like this was a business opportunity that what I for the first time ever, everything that I'd been learning about the secret and and manifesting things and my mindset, and I could actually apply to something that was going to change my life. Yeah. You know, the, not just create a vision board and wish and hope. It was like, I can have the vision board or, of the dream life that I want, but I've actually now got the financial vehicle to make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, amazing. So for everyone that doesn't understand about network marketing, network marketing, are you... Um, sell products and then if you want to um you know be very very successful you build a team and teach them to sell products basically so a lot of our a lot of part of it is is speaking to people introducing people to the concept of it introducing to the product and introducing to the business now sarah to share with everyone how many people did you speak to before even one person joined you yeah so the days before zoom and the miraculous <laughs> thing about <laughs> yeah. now um, we met people in person. So I'd drive up and down the country and I'd get my laptop out and share the presentation of the business. And I'd be like, do you get it? Isn't it the most exciting thing? And 154 people said, no, I don't get it. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> so wow. that was like presentations from like Scotland to Cornwall to literally all over the country. If you know the UK, drive there, turn up. It was a no again. And 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 how and how many, was that over eighteen months? Was that? That was twelve months. The first okay. twelve months. The first yeah, so twelve not, months, and not one person said yes for the first year. And I was fully all in. Like anyone that's created any sort of success in anything knows, it takes a level of obsession or all inness for a period of time. And I was that for the first year. I was so all in. Like I didn't miss anything. I was on all the calls. I was doing the reading. I was doing the learning. I was doing doing the action. Scared to death doing the action, like shaking constantly, but so far out of my comfort zone, it was insane. But I was so desperate for change. Yeah. I didn't want my life to be like it was forever. And I knew this was the way it would change it. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, that no matter how awful it made you feel doing it, you still did it anyway. Yeah. You know, whatever yeah, that was. the why was bigger. Yeah, the why yeah. was bigger than that. what you had to do. And so you're driving up and down the country, you know, after every presentation, someone says, no, how did you keep your mindset in the set of, well, someone will say yes. How did you have that belief that they would? It was just a fact. It's weird. I can't really explain it. It's just a fact in my mind. I knew it was going to eventually work. I just thought they're all crazy. Why can't they see this? I never, ever, even though all those people told me it wouldn't, wasn't, wouldn't gonna, wasn't going to work, 
to me, it always was. And I just thought, you're the crazy one, so you can't see this. I just couldn't understand. I was like, what can you not understand? I was just so flummoxed. <laughs> I was like, what can you not see that? Because it's so crystal clear to me that it made so much sense. It just made so much sense. There was no part of it that I thought didn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, And why do you think they said no? Um, I think probably people, some people, a lot of people need evidence and they need to see that something is going to work before they take the risk. Um, I think some people just don't have the same vision and don't have a desire for change. They're quite happy in what they're doing. They're not willing to take the risk. Um, care what people think of them. I think is a massive one for anything that you do. Um, yeah, lots of reasons, I suppose. Yeah. And do you think, you know, over that 12-month period of you doing a presentation, did you change? Like, did you become different for someone to then actually say yes to you? Unrecognisable. Like the oh, first really? year, from the first day I started to the year later, I looked the same, but I was a completely different person inside. Totally different. And it's continued to change for 15 years. But actually, the, the reason after that first year why most people came back or saw me out and about and said, are you still doing that business that you're doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm always going to be doing it. Like, this is it. I am doing this. And then the second thing was most of them said, I can't believe how different you are. Like, you're so different. So that's actually why most people ended up joining my business because of the change that they saw in me. They're like, it's unbelievable how much you've changed. And, and obviously the conviction of what I was talking about and the belief became stronger because I believed in myself more. So people and what was see- the change? Like what, what you became more confident and self-assured, was that the change that they saw? Yeah, I think it probably was that. That's how it showed itself. But it was work on lots of different things. You know, I, I really had a strong morning routine. So when I first read The Success Principles, I heard him talk about something, basically everything in that book I applied because I just thought if that's what it takes to be successful, I'm going to apply every single principle. And there's a lot of them. <laughs> but one of them that I really thought made total sense was something he called the the hour of power. And now today, it's a lot more people know it as The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod because he's done an, written an amazing book on that. But the hour of power is like, that makes complete sense. And as he explained things to do in that time, I was like, that's obviously going to make a difference if I do that every morning. So actually, at the time that I was building my business, I was also teaching. Um, I got a teaching job because for most people, this is a side thing. You don't need full-time hours to do it. So I was teaching full-time at the Brit School and building my business around that sort of in the evening and a weekend. And yeah, I just, um, yeah, I just sort of found ways to make it work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And And the thing is, when you know what you, what's possible, you go to bed late, you wake up early, you do whatever it takes. There's there's absolutely no excuses. Yeah, I was at about five hours sleep because I had to be in school at half past seven. So I'd get up at five. I'd never got up at five in my life. Like I'd never seen five o'clock. So, but that's what they said to do, like the 5 a.m. club. I was like, okay, I'm getting up at five. So I get up at five and then after work, I'd probably go straight into to London to meet people, to talk to them, to whatever, and then get back on the tube, be back at my house for about 11 o'clock midnight, get up at five again. Yeah. I did that Amazing. for about two years. For two yeah. years. So the first year basically complete year of no's the 150th person said yes and then was that the beginning of the yeses is that when it all changed yeah okay. yeah and then it was just like yes 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 yeah it was just like so many people came back from that first yeah. year yeah because i think nothing had changed in their life and they could see you know i was going to las vegas on that annual conference and 
doing the exciting things and people are like, what is it that you do? It does look amazing, actually. Maybe I, I want to listen again, actually. We tell me what it is again. So that's sort of what happened in that second year. And then by the third year, we were just in massive momentum. And yeah. And so, who, so yeah, exactly. And who did join you? Were they your friends or people you didn't know? Like how, who joined you on that journey at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, you're both good friends and then like friends of friends. And then Stewie, you're obviously your best friend, uh, moved into one, my house. So he, he rented a room in my house and that's how I met Stuart. And I remember <laughs> I used to train on. He joined quite a lot later along, actually, in my business. Um, and I remember used to train teams and say, you're not going to meet your next national vice president in your kitchen. Get out of your house. And I actually met Stuart in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And I remember um, Stuart saying to me, well, she drives this like, was it a Rover that has this, the wing mirror taped on? <laughs> and then one day he was living with you and you looked out the window and you'd had this brand new white Mercedes delivered. He was like, oh my God, what is this girl doing? No. Yeah, it's like, All because he moved in with you and, and all of us, you know, said so that obviously I'm then linked to Stuart. He's my best friend. But we all had nothing. Like living in our overdraft, just, mm. you know, we'd go out, but we would drink water or I would like flirt with a guy just to get a free drink. Like that was our life. Like there was no, you know, going and eating in a restaurant or oh buying healthy food because the, the food was... You know, I, I remember living off Heinz baked beans and tomato, um, Heinz tomato soup and having like rice crackers and thinking, oh, you know, it's not bread. So it's like healthy. Like, that was my healthy living, you know, like, but, and if I had cheese, it was never like Cathedral City. It was like the Tesco Bayou cheese that also had the blue sticker on. Oh, my goodness. Cheap. It was just, that was our life. And I think people see, you know, myself, they see you, they see us all on social media and our lives now and they think oh wow I was so unrelatable but it's that is the reality of what our life was like yeah I used to add up I remember like before being at the Brit school at the, in my calendar like my paper diary I'd, I'd write what I'd earned that month and sometimes it was like 250 pound for the month I'm like how did I actually live on that money like what did I do and it is so true it's a miracle how we survived yeah. it was crazy yeah you just don't know what you don't know. So I, I never, I remember, I never felt unhappy that I was, you know, living on basic cheese or I, that way. I was just happy because I didn't really know there was a life more than, yeah, you know, totally. um, yeah. I was quite happy. You know, I wasn't unhappy or miserable. It was like this is what it is for now. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, one of the goals, one of the reasons why I started my business, I was like, I wanted to do my weekly shop at Marks and Spencers. Yes. I mean, I used to feel so in, like, inferior, like walking past the waitress so I see all these like fancy people coming out and wow god you know they're in waitress and I'm off to Asda and obviously there's nothing wrong with Asda but I, at the time like, I I felt comfortable in Asda and I would never have gone into waitress because they were just people that were above who I thought that I was at the time you know yeah totally oh yeah definitely I felt the same and so your business grew and did your confidence grow Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it really did, and it's came from a lot of the personal development, realizing that inner voice, that voice, and what it's saying. That was probably one of the biggest things. I remember going to a training, and a lady at the front of the room, one of the one of the business, owners, you know, someone in Arbon, someone in the business, saying, "There's this voice in your head, and that's the voice that's going to, you know, determine how you think about yourself." And I and I genuinely can remember this thought, thinking, "I don't have that voice." 
And literally the voice was saying, I don't think I remember And I was like doing my washing a few days later and I was thinking, gosh, I hate so much doing this. I was like, that's the voice. And I heard it for the first time. And I think sometimes you, it starts with awareness, like that lack of awareness of hearing anything. And then when you tune into it, that's when you can think that is so destructive. And then you think, right, I've got to change that. And then I really got on a mission, an intentional mission to change how I thought about myself. And that's when it really all started to change through affirmations and, you know, reading the rights. Affirmations are huge for me. And yeah, so what did you do? Like people listening to this and they have that voice, even they didn't have that voice, but I remember that same feeling, that going, what's she talking about? But that is it, that the inner dialogue that you're always consistently listening to is is going to completely shape your life 100% without fact. And so you change that voice, you change your life. And so how did you go about doing that? Like, was it affirmations, you know, what staring yourself in the mirror, like saying things like, what, tell us the process of that. It was a morning routine because that's what, because it's consistency, doing it consistently is obviously the key to anything. But I knew that morning routine, if I got those things done on, on a morning, I knew it'd always get done every day. So yeah. it was things like, you know, visualizations and affirmations and reading and meditation, quiet in the mind, all that sort of stuff. And actually so passionate about it that years on, that's why I created the Be Well Club, yeah. which is what we do. Isn't that's just available for anyone. And, and I really started that in lockdown because I could see people having lots of, you know, mental and, and mental health issues. And I thought, gosh, so much of it can be helped by these seven practices. And I just started doing a Zoom call. And then I got people who I know, amazing mentors and coaches in my business to say, are you up for doing it too? And they'd take a week and then I do a week. Um, and it's just there. So if you are, if you want to change these things, the best place to start is get a great morning routine um, and the Be Well Club is there for anyone if you've not got a clue how to start. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And if you are listening to this one, we've got the Be Well Club, just reach out to myself or Sarah and we can add you in. It's completely free of charge. And we've got now 7,000 people in there. So like committed to leveling up, being better, keeping their mind in check, learning, understanding. It's completely free. It's just something that, you know, that you have created that we're all on board with and, and offer. Um, yeah. And accountability is such a big part of it like, because you know you're going to get on the Zoom every morning and people are like, I'm watching out for you, I'll see you there. You sort of think, oh, just get up and get on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and people like... are there in their pajamas. You know, it's not like you've got to show up. It's just whatever, just set your alarm, get on and be there um, with the community exactly. of over 7,000. And, you know, it's global as well. It's you know, and it's growing and growing. Every, every single day I'm accepting new people into that group. Yeah. And so then what happened? So then you started earning money right you know proper money how did yeah. this change your life well the money changed every so many parts of it changed my life but in terms of financially I think it just I just I really wanted to build a business because I didn't want to have to worry about money it wasn't really any materialistic drive I wanted to buy a house okay I was thought I'd love the thought of owning my own home so that was definitely a big driver for me I wanted to retire my parents which was a big driver too and or help them you know in the retirement and yeah, just not to worry. I just wanted to be able to live and be present and choose what I want to do, not be restricted by money. I couldn't yeah. do it because of money. I wanted to be able to say yes to everything I want to do, yes to who I want to spend time with, yes to, you know, that's really what, what it was. That was a driving force. So it's changed everything from like that bed sit, like that one bedroom, you know, room that I rented to living in a seven bedroom house now. And, you know, my fiance doesn't have to work. 
because of our business. My parents have an amazing retirement and they contribute towards them doing nice things and helping them. It's just amazing. And the impact it's had is just, it's sort of immeasurable, really. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine where we'd be if it wasn't for this business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What would we, as kind of retired performers, what do we, what would we have done? I always think that. Oh, I don't, I'd be having a nervous breakdown somewhere. I think I would. <laughs> yeah, like rocking the oh god i mean i would just i i know that i would have been my outlet might like it would have been victim mentality i need someone to rescue me some you know anyone just to like you know take me out of this rather than actually having the, the ability and the mindset and the means to go i'm going to change this for myself which is what i really believe network marketing does and why i'm so passionate about network marketing is it just gives and especially mums, and we, I know that both of us are passionate about this, like, you know, we became mums kind of around the same, same time and it was like, oh my God. And it's so easy, isn't it, to get lost in the mum world and forget who the fuck I am, you know, and, and I, and I oh, did. Really? Yeah, you know, I really did. And it was like I had my album business and it was like I would just be able to plug into it and go, oh, there I am, there I am. You know, there are my people. I do have a vision. I do have a work ethic. I'm not just this person that's just like a milk machine or just yeah. plodding along in life. Um, and I just feel like this, you know, the, uh, any network marketing business, you know, has that ability to lift you up from wherever you are, plug you into a community and, you know, give you the opportunity that I don't believe really exists anywhere else. I agree. Tell me, Sarah, why community is just so important to you? Um, I just, I actually read a book called Outliers, if you, and it's sort of the first couple of pages, if you've never read the book, it's a really good read, but it talks about the power of community and actually how, it's a big story in there that I won't go into, but ultimately they conclude that this community, this little group of people that moved from Italy to America were outliving everybody else in the US, but their diet had stayed, they'd adopted the American diet, they were smoking, they were drinking, so it's nothing. So they couldn't figure out why this group of people were living so much longer. So then when they went to this little place and walked the streets, they could see like people stopped and talked to each other. They belonged to clubs and groups and and they were like, the thing that actually they have is a belongingness to something bigger than themselves, a community. And I was like, it just gives me shivers because I think that's what we've definitely lost with there's amazing parts about being online and social media, but just knowing your neighbour. And it's just so important, I believe, for our, for our mental health to be connected to other human beings. So, yeah, that is a big part of what this the network marketing industry is a really big advocate for. It's so, so much about community because it just tends to attract sort of like-minded people that have that slight optimistic character because when people hear the information the you know the cynics will sort of go oh, i'll never work things like that don't work and that's fine and then the optimists go what if it does and that's sort of the group of people that you're left with and they tend to be like quite fun and upbeat and positive so you are you start belonging to this community of amazing people yeah absolutely and those people you know i'll be totally transparent you know i have been like in my podcast world not plugging in really to my r1 community and it was like last week, I just felt this real sense of like, oh, I'm just on my own. I'm this real sense of loneliness. What is it that's making me feel like this? You know, there's Ben there, there's my family there. But what I was missing was my Arbonne community, my people, my 
to bounce off, you know, and, and it took like a two hour conversation with one of, you know, our, our great friends who's, you know, a friend of ours, but also she's, you know, really within in the album community, an amazing person. And I was like, oh God, I that. Like she is the reason why I'm like, I need that. I miss that. It's like feeding that, that something in us that just wants to belong to something. And, yeah. and connect to like-minded people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Who want, interested in the same things of like becoming the best version of themselves. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so Sarah, how have you been doing your online business now for? Uh, 15 years, June 2008. In fact, it was, it was 15 years a few days ago. 15 years and talk us through those 15 years like what has that looked like so obviously we've kind of gone quite in depth about the first few years like changing your life like dramatically the big like shift then you know over the last 15 years what have you done like have you just been spending the money like what do you do well yes well what happened was when I sort of got to the top level of the company and I became then obsessed with helping other people get to the top level of the company and then I sort of realized, right, if you don't get back, there's a point, I think, where you're, obs- you're obsessed to create what you do. And then at that point, I was single. I was 35 with no kids. And I knew I wanted, I, for me personally, I knew I wanted children. So I was like, Sarah, you've got to shift this because if you keep going like this, yeah. you need to create a bit of balance in your life and a bit more and just work. And because I could, I loved doing what I did so much. I could quite easily do it every waking hour and I still could today. I have to really rein myself in because I love it. It sets me alight. It just, I just absolutely love every part of it. So, yes, yeah, so I had this conscious decision of like, okay, and this was about 2015, I think. I was like, I want to meet someone. Like, I really want to meet someone and I want to have children. So I basically treated it like business. <laughs> I love that. I love I that. Like, Get on the dating apps, do the numbers. Because I knew, I know business is about numbers. Like sales is about numbers. Everything's about numbers. If you speak to enough people, you're going to find the right people. And I just thought it's the same with dating. If I speak to enough people and go on enough dates, so what I did was, I was really strategic about it. I would only meet people in this bar that was two minutes walk from my house. I was like, I can only meet here and I've only got 30 minutes because like, I'm not spending hours with someone that I just don't want to be sat there with. So I would just do so many, at the end of my miracle morning, I'd get on the swipes, I'd do so many swipes. And I'd be like, right, I'll meet you. I'll meet you, schedule them in, go meet them. Yes, no, next. I just treated it like that. And then about the fifth day in, I met my now fiance. <laughs> was it only the fifth date? It was a fifth date, yeah. It's only five. I think it might have been more, actually. I feel like That's it was about amazing. the fifth. I yeah, good. remember that was our time. And we, we spent quite a lot of time together because we both got like heartbreak, didn't we? For, at the same time, the short of Mario era. <laughs> and we were heartbroken because what both of us had done we were like ready for that part of our life. And we had seen the person that we were with and go, well, I'm ready. So let's do this. And, you know, my Rario was like, what? <laughs> and I yeah, was devastated. Really. And and also both of us had really like, we were driving it. We were those people, but we actually wanted to be with a, a, a man that would also take the lead. But remember that book that you introduced to me? It changed my life. <laughs> conversation about the book and where we were stood in the conference i yeah. know so sarah introduced me to a book which i now literally i love and this book is called um getting to i do by is it patricia allen yeah i think so it's yeah. so old school but the principle so old school. school yeah and the title doesn't it's got nothing to do with it 
And I read this and I was like, oh my God, I am in so much in my masculine energy. Basically, I am masculine. <laughs> Driving my business, creating all this. There's no room. You know, I want to meet this masculine man, but how? Because I'm not being remotely in my feminine energy. And it was like, you know, when I go on these dates, I don't want to, t- don't need to tell them I'm this powerhouse boss babe bitch. I just want to let them lead. And, and, and I'm, I'm, with both of us, and we really had to learn the difference and what, you know, what it, it meant to be a feminine, you know, having a both, best of both worlds, that like we can be in our masculine going our business, but we can also be a, a feminine woman that we actually really are. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about that. I was thought, well, I am a woman, so therefore I'm I am feminine. But it's the yin and the yang to it. And then, and at the time, I was living with Stuart and Francis. <laughs> we were like go getting on my business. We were all like heavily doing, you know, our, working on our network marketing businesses. And then I would like have a date, and and in the book, it would say, put on soft feminine meats. <laughs> So I would put on like this, like classical wafty music. And then I'd be like, and then, and I'd like practice talking <laughs> in a less like aggressive voice. And Stuart would be like, hello, Emily. <laughs> and, and like, I'd have to learn, like, you know, I would go on a date. People are like, oh no, you don't have to do this. But you do. Like, I, We did have to do this. We had to learn. Just like we had to, if we wanted to meet the man of our dreams, just like we had to build the business of our dreams, we had to learn skills, right? And this book taught us the skills to, it's that energy. Like when we were building our businesses, we had that forward energy, that forward thrust, which is a masculine energy. And then when we were in our feminine energy, we had to sit back. So I would go on dates and I always would say to myself, Cross your legs and sit back. <laughs> and just receive and listen and be just like, oh, that's interesting, rather than lead the conversation and try it, you know. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't still be you, but it's just really interesting to hear. That's just how it works. It's the way of the energies of the world and relationships. It's got to be a masculine and a feminine energy, a yin and a yang. And depending on what you want, you might be okay with a feminine man, but we wanted like the masculine, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. And so did you, we learned those principles and you basically met Kev. Yeah, I did. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't say that. What's good to say? <laughs> no offence to anyone with the name Kevin. But I was like, it's not my favourite name. <laughs> I don't know if I can marry someone called Kevin. And now I love the name. Because it's him to me. There's a lot of bad associations Kevin. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very of a certain era, isn't it? Like my dad's called Neville. I would never be like, oh, you know. It's like, oh, like baby Kevin. Where would ever that? Or baby Neville. Like, how do these people choose to have these names? But it's of an era and a time, isn't it? So, but yeah. But I know what you mean. But anyway, he's turned out to be an absolute dream. So he was just, uh, yeah. And that book was just so. If you are, if you are single, if you are built like a in your boss babe era, which you can still be both. You can still be boss babe, and you can still have a masculine man. It's just knowing when to to. It's like switch on one, switch on the other. You know, I'm sat in my office. I'm boss babe Nicola. 
you know, creating these things like build, I love it. And then I go home and I do have to actively, you know, for Ben to be able to be in his masculine without me absolutely literally pissing on his parade because I'm there being in my masculine. We only have arguments really when, when that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's, and it is fascinating. It is fascinating. So get the book. It's called Getting to I Do by Patricia Allen. And so you make Kev and then what put you're really high up in your business at this point, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. So a really big business at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you think he was like, oh, wow. Like, did you did you share the beginning with him like I'm this entrepreneur I've got this big business like or did you kind of keep yeah. that to yourself you know, it always reminds me of something that I don't remember but we apparently went away to the freedom sat in the hot tub and I was thinking I don't actually know if he knows and Kev was like basically you're a big deal <laughs> so apparently I said to him like do you know what I earn a month and, and actually what happened was at the time he used to have a recruitment company and a girl had come to interview for him who who had a business with Arbon. And she, Kevin said, oh, I'm seeing a girl who's in Arbon. And she, this girl reacted like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, Sarah, doesn't he? And he said, I think she basically told him what I earned. It's like, do you know what she earned? <laughs> so like, he's like, like, what? I better give her a ring. <laughs> I better get on a second day. She sounds amazing. I know. Yeah, so that was just funny. funny about that's amazing. I love that. And then, you know, the, the story continues and you, did he, you retire, Kev? I mean, I'm not sure you want to say that. Is that what happened? Well, I was able to, yeah, because what happened was his mum got really poorly and she got terminal cancer and got very long to live. So because of the business we had, as I had, he was able to close down the recruitment company. And there was a few other reasons as well, but um, it wasn't what he was loving. He didn't love doing it. He didn't love going every day and we had two children from a previous marriage, so what it enabled him to do was put the kids up from school, which he wasn't able to do when he was in recruitment. So he picked, picked them up every single day since, you know, we've been together. And that's just what the business has been able to do and spend those last few months with his mum and not having to worry. Um, those are the times when you just think it's the biggest gift. Yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, when my brother died, I, you know, I literally was just a complete mess and the only thing that kind of it was you know if I was in that space in a normal job I would still have to go to work I couldn't say I'm sorry I need the next three months off because yeah of what's just happened um you know there would be I'd have lost my job I mean that was so but with my album business people like yourself, people that are around me, you know, picked up what I wasn't doing and helped me and it just kept going and I was still receiving my paycheck even though I was not plugged into it at all and that is the beauty of this type of business. And obviously you don't get that, you know, and I think it's all transparency for everyone. You don't that doesn't happen in the first, you know, six months of your business. You know, we have been growing, you know, I've been in Arbonne now nearly ten years. And obviously you've been fifteen years. And so, you know, that happens over time, but the, how precious that is. Yeah. That's what it's worth it for. Those days when it's a struggle or it's a challenging, it's, there's moments where you just think there's nothing that could match this. I'm so grateful for what it's given those choices, those kind of choices. Yeah. 
looking back on your journey, Sarah, what do you think it's like, if you're like, that is the biggest thing that this um, building this business has given you, what would you say that is? Um, inner peace. Just being all good with myself, not caring what other people think. Oh, that's magic. Yes, magic. Liberating. So freeing. I was consumed by what other people thought. I was so oversensitive. Um, you know, I'd stay in bed at night thinking, rerunning every conversation I'd had. I definitely couldn't offend them to say the wrong thing. Should I have said that? Oh my God. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but what, why did the business give you inner peace? Like, because if people just li- listening to this, we're like, well, it's just a business. How can a business give you inner peace? Yeah. Well, it's the personal development journey that goes alongside building a network marketing business. It's not has to go hand in hand, really. Um, Hal Elrod says you can't be a you know, level three person with a level 10 business. Yeah. So your business will only ever grow to the level that you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And then, and then what I also love about this type of business is that, you know, in any other area, in every other business, you grow and you, you grow, you know, as your business, you go financially, but it's you. And then you've got your friends still where they were. But the best thing about this is all of your friends, all of your best friends and my friends and my mom and my sister, we all did it. We all have done it. Yeah. So now we are all growing together. So there's not like I'm just paying for my friends to do the things because they can't afford it. We're all at that same level together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just priceless, isn't it? It's like we can all be successful. It's not just you. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally it. That's one of the best things about it. Yeah, yeah. Bring people so, along with you. Yeah, exactly. And so, if people are listening to this now, um, thinking, okay, well, you know, I don't really know, uh, yeah, I've heard about, about network marketing. Why do you think it is like the best thing for someone to do? I think it's the whole package that it offers because there's other ways to build um, passive income today, but I just think it's the whole package together. It's a leadership development program. It's the community. It's the personal growth. It's the things that you learn, it's the entrepreneurial skills that you learn to build a business that are applicable to so many things that help me build like a portfolio of properties and and have the confidence when someone comes with me to you know offer another business opportunity or investment to look at it and feel confident that I know what I'm looking at, I know what I'm investing in. I was a dancer, you know, and that's just learned so much. It's the whole package, it's everything. It's the friendships, it's experiences and the trips that you go on with people there's so much to it I just think it's incomparable and you can't find anywhere else yeah yeah exactly and and I was actually speaking to my friend earlier who's who's also a network marketer within another in another business model there are so many of us because I I would definitely look at it to go oh that's I wasn't like this isn't my dream career this isn't my dream choice but what it has been for so many of us is a platform it's elevated it's taking us from just like that feeling of like, oh, God, I can't, I can't even keep my head above the parapet. Like I can't breathe with low self-worth, no money. It has given us the vehicle to get ourselves out of there. And then, you know, like, for example, our you know, great friend Stuart Francis, who's also been on this podcast, I know that they, and he would also say this, they are insanely successful on TikTok and social media as huge influencers now because of their album business, because that gave them the platform. It gave them the finances to be able to do that, to give them the space to do it, the confidence to do it, how to speak to people, how to build, how to, you know, network to build them, you know, and 
And so if you are listening to say, well, it's not kind of really what I want to do. It isn't really what I wanted to do. It's not really what you wanted to do. But what it is, is the vehicle to potentially what else do you want to do? Yeah. You know, there's no way I'd have done this podcast if I hadn't have got all of the experience and the value of what, you know, half the reason I do it is when I used to go to all of the trainings, I was just obsessed with the stories. They'd be like, you know, these are the five steps of like boring. And I'm like, but here's the story of, and I'm like, yes, give me the stories. Give me the journey because I was so inspired by the journey of this is where they were and this is how they got there. And, you know, a massive reason of why I'm doing this podcast is because I just obsessed with the journeys, the ups and downs of what it took. Um, yeah. And, and, and there's so many examples of that. People that we don't even know, but they their background started in a network marketing muzzle. I think nearly everyone that's like an inspirational speaker, so many people, listeners probably like love solo. If you go back in their background, so many started in network marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So many. Absolutely. So what is next for you, Sarah? Do you know what? I am I know this is my purpose and calling. And lots of people like to say, do this to go on to something else. But for me, I'm here for life. I love the company that I'm with. I love the people that I'm surrounded by. I love doing this business and I'll never ever stop. Um so yeah, for me, I want to help more people with what I've got through this vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that part about it. Um, you know, seeing someone who's like me fifteen years ago and thinking everything can change for you yeah and you are such the example of that oh we forgot to mention i mean I, this is my favorite story so within our our business model you actually um can earn a car right and it was the mercedes uh, it's other cars now but you can earn the mercedes and you had to get hypnotized to speak your own car presentation didn't you yeah and that's how like, final was like what public speaking i can't even tell you it was like the say it's the fear after death that's what it was for me frozen with fear so when I got to the carnival I'd never spoken in front of a group I'd just done one-to-ones coffee meetings I'd never actually spoken in front of a group petrified so I had to on the build-up to know it was going to happen I had hypnotherapy for about four months I think it was and I was still petrified I was able to do it and then I think when something like that happens you think okay I didn't die yeah, I can do it again next time. And that's the out of the comfort zone things where the real growth happens. Yeah. Yeah. And you've stepped out of your comfort zone so many times. You have trained on stage in Vegas in front of how many people? Uh, 20,000 people. Like, it's mental. And it's weird because because I know now and I'm so tuned into my internal voice, I can just quieten it down if it starts saying irrational things and I just think I'm just talking to people if I impact one person and make a difference I've done my job but the ego wants you to be like it's petrifying out there you're gonna mess up you're gonna you know what I mean so you just have to shut that ego voice down and be like I know what I'm here for and I stay so calm before I walk out on stage it's still like blows my mind I'm like oh my goodness not even slightly lusted <laughs> really you don't even feel almost nervous anymore no I don't really I wouldn't last time I spoke no. That is incredible. That is actually to get to that point where it's like that self-knowing, self-trusting and knowing that it's, yeah, it's not even, I definitely get nervous, but I don't even know why. I couldn't tell you why I get nervous, but I, it's like that, uh, it's like a panic before I go on. 
But then there's that feeling of you want to do the best you can. And there's that thing of like, oh, I, hope, I want to do my best. I hope to do the best on behalf of everyone else type thing. But then I always just think, I'll say what I'm meant to say. I trust in something, you know, bigger than me. The universe knows going back. Yeah. And with that, Sarah, talk about um, your beliefs and thoughts with the law of attraction. How have you used that and do you believe in that? Yeah, I totally believe in it. And I just genuinely live in that state of like eternal optimism. I think my default mode, I'm, I don't know if that's something that's learned or just my character and my personality, but my default is always just to say the good. I don't even, it's instinctive. I don't, I, it might be practice that I've got better at that, but I just genuinely just think that's the way it's meant to be. That's good. Actually, that's good because even if it's the worst thing that's happened, I'm like, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, that's amazing. And then do you, how would you like teach someone, let's say someone joins your team and they're always like focused on, like they just can't help but thinking something's not going to go right. How would you help someone to change that mindset? Yeah, it's a shift in perspective and, and reprogramming your neural pathways for a lot of people, which can totally be done with a morning routine and like, doing all the learning, being aware of that voice, reprogramming your subconscious neural pathways with, well, that's what hypnotherapy is. You know, hypnotherapy, affirmations, it's changing those automated um, pathways. Yeah, love that. Have you ever oh, had, have you ever, sorry, have you ever had someone join, join you and you thought, oh, they're never going to make it and it proved you wrong? Uh, probably, yeah. I think I must have done, yeah, at some points because people just surprise you. That's the best um, I, I, Yeah, I, I do think if you've got that desire and you're willing to learn, and you'll keep going. You've got that discipline to, to do the growth and the learning. I do think you can get that. Yeah. Well, you are that perfect example. You know, on paper, no one would have ever you know, giving yeah. you, oh, she could, not even a could. It was just that, and you're here being that example. And that's why I just love your story so much because, you know, so many of us like do have big personalities or we're doing this and you would definitely say, that, you know, you're not in that car- car- um, category. You know, you are shy. You aren't the person to speak out. But what I always love, and I have this thing that Stuart and I do, when we're in a panic or we're, some things, you know, we're like, oh, God, you know, it's like something that's happened in our life. We always say, what would Sarah Danning do? <laughs> because what you have is total, it's like, it's like your pendulum from knowing what's right and what's wrong and what to do. It's just always right. How do you get to that point? Um, I think it, it's all the per- is that the person calmness and being sensitive and being rational looking at things not in a non-reactive way is a big part that's the personal growth but then it, I do think it's in childhood my mum and dad are very driven by values what's right and wrong and they always demonstrated that yeah and just that feeling of like I know I'd feel not good about myself if I did things that weren't the right things it's knowing your values actually the, the, the bottom the crux of it is knowing your values and living by them. Yeah. And do you believe any do you believe that you're living by your values now? 
Yeah, 100%. And I think you can't be successful in anything that you do if it's not aligned with who you are. So if your values are in contradiction to the thing that you're doing, you'll never have massive success. So everyone that's at the top of the game, they in business, for example, they genuinely believe what they're doing, what they're offering is aligned with who they are and their values. Yeah. Then you can't, it's like success is inevitable almost. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally agree. Once you just, it's like almost like finding your purpose. Is it like, what am I here to do? And how can I do it in a way that makes me feel good in all areas? Because that's how I, you know, I go on everything that I'm doing. Like, what I'm about to do, does this make me feel happy? Does this make me feel like good about myself? And if the answer is not a hundred percent, like an absolute definite yes, then I'm nine times out of 10 won't do it. Whether that be and go for drinks with a friend, whether that be pick someone up from the airport, if it's not like yes, then it's a no. And I, yeah, I used to be a massive yes person because I used to feel like, oh, I've got to do everything for everybody because then they'll like me. Yeah. But learning to but say no. By other people when you like yourself. Yeah, yeah. But I have learned to say no and it has changed my life. I'm so, I'm so happy, happy for you. <laughs> Do you say no to lots of things, Sarah? Because you must have so much opportunity coming your way. Do you say no to things now? Yeah, I, I do, but it is hard because I am a, I'm just a, yes, I can see the, I can see opportunity in basically everything. And that sometimes is a challenge. I am because that optimist, I sort of think everything's going to work. This is going to be great. This is the thing. And I have to rein myself in. And Kev's really helped me with that because he's a lot more balanced and looks at the facts as opposed to the emotions. I get very like, because I have that sort of personality. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So you two like the dream team kind of working together. And talk about, so investments and things like that, Sarah. So like looking forward, you know, so now you've got, you know, this huge online empire what what have you done with your money? Like what what do we do? You know, I'm sat here. Like what you know? What would I do with my income? Right? What would, would be the best thing to do? Hmm. I don't know what the best thing to do is, but I, the thing for me was I just I want to match my I want to match my basically the way I thought about it probably ten years ago was I want my outgoings to be covered by something else as well as and then my business could be for other stuff investments etc. So my goal was to build my portfolio property portfolio up so the cash generated from that covered all my outgoings so that's what i did i'm gonna love that how many properties do you have uh not many um six i think sold one yeah but i'm about a few more yeah god it's so inspiring it's just so inspiring so in theory you don't live off your album wage um, in part, you know, my life changed a bit. And that's why I'm about to do some more, um, buy some more properties because as like I've acquired three children, all go to private schools and <laughs> those other things, I probably need to increase. I was thinking that a bit last week, actually. I need to increase that other cash flow from other things. But the great thing is from my business, my online business, it just gives you the cash flow to then create more if you invest it in the right ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's like that next level. That's what the you know, rich dad, poor dads like ultimately taught us. It's like you once you have that money, then you invest it in that money in something that's gonna make you more money without you even doing anything. 
Totally, yeah. And I just love numbers. I love doing, considering I was terrible at maths at school, I just love doing calculations and like working out percentages. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. get so excited about that. Oh God, I wish I did. I just see, I'm like oh, all about how does it make me feel? What's the vision? So, but I need to learn more from you as I always do. You send me the numbers. I'll do them for you. I guess. Sorry, yeah, I will. I will. So Sarah, in, in parting, I always ask them, everybody this question. And the question is, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would tell myself that you're worthy of all the love, all the success, everything that you desire. And tune into that voice and don't let anything tell you anything. Like, tune into that voice and make sure it's serving you. Absolutely. The best. And do you teach that to your children now? I do. My stepdaughter's 14. So um, it seems easier to tell teenagers. Kids don't even have that. They're just so present and in the moment. Young kids, but it's fun now because my stepdaughter's 14, it's getting to a good age where I can really start to get the concept of things. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, imagine we knew what we knew then, like what our life would have been like. I know, I can't wait to just give her all the books to read and you know, stuff that when you're at that time to accept it and understand it, you can start doing something to it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree yeah. more. But Sarah, it has been my biggest pleasure. I could talk and question you for absolutely hours. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and if you, if you listen to this, anybody, and you want to you know, get in contact with Sarah, Sarah, what is your Instagram? Sarah Dunning UK. Uh, and then we do have, if, if you're interested in the Be Well, um, please just message myself or Sarah and we can add you into that group and you can get such incredible value for free. So uh, it's just an amazing thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. The one and only Sarah Dunning. Thank you. 